Are you living the crazy life of a sports parent? This is Sports Parenthood, the podcast packed with cool conversations with sports people, coaches and professionals for rookie sports parents just like you. You'll hear nuggets of gold in every episode with your hosts, fellow sports parents, John and Tiffany Bonacera. When our kids participate in any kind of sport, they run the risk of an injury. When it comes to head injuries in sport, understandably, many of us are faced with making the tough decision on whether or not to let our kids play a sport which we think might have a higher likelihood of concussion, like contact or combat sports. Concern over concussion runs deep, but do the benefits of playing contact sport outweigh the risks? Sometimes it's not as easy as saying, I don't want my child to play a particular sport. There's more to it. This is what we'll be discussing on today's show. In our conversation with Byron Field, you'll hear where his interest in this topic began as a kid in the early 1990s after getting a head knock himself and how it has shaped his professional career. He's been a medic in many different sports, including more than a decade working in professional rugby union, both here in Australia and in the UK. Byron is now a PhD candidate with a focus on monitoring head impact and concussion in rugby. In the episode, Byron shares some of the latest evidence on concussion, which had about tech tools that can help, the importance of nailing technique, along with what we should be doing if a child or adolescent does get a head knock or is diagnosed with concussion. Here's Byron. question to start with, I thought, what are the three moments in my life, if I could summarise it, that brought us three to having a chat this morning? So three moments, and I was like, the, probably the first one, um, I grew up in kind of central west, northwest New South Wales, I remember you know, playing a rugby league game when I was, must have been seven or eight, um, I, won't, I won't give a year for the, the list, <laughs> sometime a long, a long time ago, and I remember shooting up, I was a horrible, I was a horrible footballer, but I, I wouldn't get out of the road to tackle, and I ran up to make a tackle, went low. And next thing, kind of woke up under a tree, you know, sometime later. And it, that's kind of stuck with me. And it's it's not so much the, the story of the what was a concussion, um, looking back at it, but it's the story of the support and care that I got from other parents. My mum and dad couldn't be there that day, which was a miracle because they took me everywhere. Um, but that for that particular day, they went there. And I just remember the amount of people and concern because back in that day, we, we, we weren't really sure what it was. And that was, Absolutely. That was a, to me, that was a similar moment. I kind of look back on now and go, wow, that was, that was interesting. And then... I guess, guys, if you fast forward, you know, thirty odd years, I've just taken a break from a, a ten to fifteen year career working in, in professional sport, and I love all sorts of different sports. And most of my time was spent in in rugby union in Australia and in the UK. So meeting a lot of wonderful people, and then probably the third point is I've always had that that eagerness to learn from people, um, including join yourself. You know, we've had a, a relationship for a few years, and it's like that probably led me to investigate my PhD, which mm-hmm. you know, I saw. You know, that you do see the bright lights of professional sport, which looks good when the guys run out and they come off and all is well. But you know, there is a there is a behind the scenes um, issue that is as a, yeah. as a medical person we deal with week in week out, and, and the mm-hmm. most confronting for me was around concussion and. You know, sending young young men and women into retirement um, because of concussive symptoms was mm. something that you know really hit me hard, and and it kind of stayed with me through the back end of the career to a point where I was introduced to um, uh, a company out of Australia called Hit IQ who were developing some mouth guards. Yeah, um, and that's kind of where my PhD's gone is to trying to provide tools for recognition. And mm. at the moment, I've stepped back from that to really focus on um, you know what can I do to to help the people playing our game, and, and then 
you know, what are the subgroups beyond that? Uh, it's, a, it's a much easier to work in the professional game, but what are the subgroups underneath that that are less mm. resourced that, you know, we can also work to help guys? So, yeah, I, I thought that was probably the, the few moments that have led us to having a conversation this morning. Gee, what a great way to kick off. Isn't it? You said that so well. And it is it is such a topical issue, Byron, and, and certainly one that yeah. sports parents are wrestling with. Yeah. And that, if, if we were going to put in a sentence, whether or not to let their kids play contact sport. And um, it's probably even enhanced uh, from your and my time in, in playing rugby league, rugby union as kids, because the advent of so many girls and women's programs now, both in amateur and professional football codes, this becomes all the more relevant again. Mm. And, um, you know, there are many women now as well and girls also aspiring to become professionals in those codes. Mm. And um, we spoke to a mother just last week whose daughter is playing both soccer and rugby at a semi-professional level. So mm. Mm. It's, it's really topical. Mm. Yeah, 100%. And it's, um, you know, quite rightly so. It's, um, you know, players have a lot of influence on the game. Um, these days, not talk professionally here at the moment, we'll get into the children and adolescents shortly, but, mm-hmm. you know, and rightly so, the, the player welfare is, is probably listened to more than what it ever has been in the past. Definitely. It's, it's back page news, um, so, the, you know, it's a, it's a seller yeah. there for the folk in the media, and, and rightly so, so there, there is a group there putting concussion front and centre, but in 15 years ago, it would have been, you might have had a, a, a medical commentator commenting on a head knock from the weekend, but, you know, at the mm-hmm. moment, it, it's, it's, um, it's, it's quite normal for different people to have an opinion, and, and that's great, you know, like the mm-hmm. more people that are looking out for players' welfare, the better, and that, that hopefully will be leaking into different subgroups of the game to make sure that um, we do keep players safe as much as they want to have fun and, and get out there and perform. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I guess, um, you know, sports holistically present a risk. We all know mm. that. So some of the things we would like to know, are children more likely to sustain a head injury than an adult? So there's a few questions here. Are males or females more likely to sustain a head injury in contact sport? And finally, in your opinion, do the risks outweigh the benefits? There's a lot there, Byron. How do we unpack yeah, that? Yeah, let's, let's try and get through that, shall okay. we? Um, I guess the things that we do know, um, statistically, one in five children will have a concussion by the time they're 10 years old. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's there in our sports. You know, of, of those, around 50% of them will be from non-organised sports. So it'll okay. be fall over in Mucking the yard around or fall from a falling tree. off the monkey bars. Uh, or... Exactly right. So it doesn't all come from, from formal sport-related activities. So mm-hmm. there's, there's risk everywhere. Um, mm-hmm. One thing we know about children, it's difficult to compare adults and children for you know, for, for epidemiological reasons, it's very hard to collect what is the state of play of concussion because, yep. you know, if someone presents at hospital or they present to their medic or it's out in the country, like where there's not a great body of statistics, although mm. within sports, individual sports, we kind of know a little bit more. But what we do know is that once a child has had a concussion, they're around four times more likely to have another concussion than a child that hasn't had one. So to me, that's okay. that's significant. Mm. That, that, is, that talks that's big, to what we want to know. It's a big number. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a big, it's a big piece. And then... You know, if we kind of keep diving through it, if you asked about the difference between yeah. um, you know, boys and girls yeah. um, coming through, and that there is differences. A lot of the research is, is kind of done out of the States, but there's also a huge amount that's growing in Australia in those, in those subgroups. Mm-hmm. And we know that you know, little girls or little boys are, are more likely to have head impacts, probably because they're more exposed in sporting situations yeah. to contact. Yep. Granted, that's, that's changing rapidly and for the better. But little girls running around are more likely to have a greater magnitude of those impacts. Uh-huh. So you, you've kind of got this really interesting okay. thing there. You so do. And, and, when, and when the girls have an impact, they're more likely to have uh, more significant symptoms than little boys. So you've kind of got this thing there, and that, that kind of mm. talks to why. So why are they... Why are they different? We can't just treat them like little adults. You know, their mm. their brains are different. Their mm. brains are evolving, mm. and 
you know, like uh, their heads are in, in relativity to their body are much bigger than what they yes. are in adults. So the relative size of the head becomes a thing. Yep. And then what we what we need is is neck musculature and scaffolding to make sure that we accelerate and decelerate that that head really well. Which yep. In adulthood, we take a bit for granted. Um, JB in, in the footballing populations, especially, we do neck strengthening. But in little kids, they just don't have that scaffold, so yep. they're more vulnerable to, to a whiplash um, style movement or exactly exactly so yeah so um I think, tiff i think we covered most of your domains mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. yeah off the mm. back of that so mm. correct me is this this is what i'm getting from what you said mm. males or male children are more likely in terms of frequency to get a head knock mm-hmm. however yeah. a female is more likely to get worse symptoms mm. if they sustain one yeah, that's exactly okay. right. As the, as the research sits at the moment, yeah. And and in in your eyes, and and this is maybe this is a question for later. Mm. Do you think do the benefits outweigh the risk? Um, yeah, that's a, a lovely, lovely spicy question. Spicy, and, that's a word. You know, like I, I was taken by I think it was was it Hamish, one of your earlier podcasts, yeah, where he spoke about the the benefits of sport. Mm-hmm. You know, I kind of I tapped into that, and it's like, do you know? And the, the main thing is fun, and I, mm-hmm. I can only relate to, to my experience as a parent. Yes. And, you know, I've got, a, I've got a little girl who's incredibly structured. Um, you know, if I throw nine netballs to her, she'll, she'll probably drop two of them, three of them will hit her in and around the head, and then the other five she'll catch if she's lucky. <laughs> but she, she's got – she's determined in spades, you know, so she works on it. But mm. because she's such a structured little kid and sport is an un, inherently an unstructured environment, for her those two things go together. Mm. So, you know, she needs sport. And there, there's certainly sports with different profiles of um, mm. head impact risk. Mm. There's risk everywhere. If we, if we look at, you know, a gymnast falling, little kids doing gymnastics, the mm-hmm. chance of falling is high. Absolutely. Um, two netballers going into contact, yep. it, it happens. And head clashing. Um, the, yep. the con- yeah, that's right. You know, we work in across the contact uh, contact sports. So, you know, there's obviously a higher risk profile for those guys. But it, it's all about, and I, I can't advise every individual parent because every every child will be unique. But, you know, for me, weighing up the, the risks and the risks of, of playing sport and the benefits that we can get from that, in, in, including the ability to adapt to variable situations, mm. are immense. Mm. Um, but mm. look, there's there's no correct advice for every individual parent. Mm. It's weighed up, know the sport, mm. and then have a little strategy in the back of your head for if something were to go wrong. Mm. So, mate, mm. with that, and this is a good segue into this, what are some of the questions that we should be asking coaches, clubs, or even sporting codes to help us make informed decisions on whether or not it's the right time, if ever, for our kids to participate in contact sport? Yeah, um, solid question. I think, you know, look, if we step back from it a little bit and, and look at, um, you know, the role of the coach, mm-hmm. I mean, the role of the coach, they'll do what they can mm-hmm. um, from player welfare. That's yeah. my experience with junior coaches. Yeah. They'll, they'll do what they can to protect the welfare mm-hmm. of, of children. And there is exceptions, of course. But for the majority, they're good people. Yes, absolutely. They want performance. So my my take on it would be that it's up to us as parents to really own that guidance. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, the sports will do what they can. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thankfully, um, I've got a couple of um, uh, websites that have referenced if you can pop them up on the, you know, you'll pop them up at some point. Just to give them what sporting sporting bodies, how they guide us through Mm -hmm. that. And is it it modified contact? Is it flag tag? Mm -hmm. Um, Are there different, you know, coaching bits and pieces that we can put in to, re- to, to reduce risk of yeah. um, a head injury happening to one of our juniors. Do you know, so they're the things in the first instance. And then mm. you know, what, what can a parent do behind the scenes? Yeah. Is, it, is it volunteer to get involved as a first aider? Um, is it ask what are our risk management strategies yeah. in emergency situations? Do you know, what, what can we do in that space to really support the sports that our, our juniors are playing? Mm. You know, that would be my questions to a club. What can, we, what can we offer you? Because 
by crikey, they're, they're doing a lot up front to make these sports happen. And we know that mm. volunteering these days is such a hard mm. piece to put together, but it's the only way junior sports survives, right? Yes, it is. Mm. Yeah. So, look, everyone does have an opinion on, on this. I guess coming from a mum's perspective, I would probably mm. argue it's particularly the mums that perhaps feel mm. p- strongly about concussion and the issue around concussion. And well, I, I think guess, they're decision makers as well Well, I was going to say often we are the decision makers in terms of what we want our kids to play or not play. Mm. Um, well, she's in my house. I don't know about yours, Byron. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, the kids guide us really. But yes, probably yeah. in the early days. But, you know, we also, look, it's probably another controversial thing to say, but we also have girls and they have, you know, coming through have not really shown interest in playing those real contact sports so you know we haven't really had to make those decisions either way but certainly um, one of them's probably heading there yeah well that's probably to be true. fair <laughs> yeah possibly but look everyone what so coming back to, to concussion why is concussion spoken about more than ever before can you share with us some of the facts uh, versus the fiction i guess to help us decipher what we should be listening to what we actually know and something along the lines of you know you do see some players um wearing headgear is that helpful what does the data tell us there's lots of questions there again <laughs> no <laughs> let's, let's, no let's i think chat. we can i think we can yeah i think we can pick up on it we, we touched on a few earlier yep. you know so, you know, the, the, the main piece or, you know, we're going to try and leave some parents with some little nuggets today. That'd be great. One of the main things is that concussion comes in all different shapes and sizes. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't need to have someone losing consciousness or knocked out in inverted commas to have, had um, a concussion. To have sustained a concussion. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's really important. Mm-hmm. And then um, the recognition of it, um, mm-hmm. you know, knowing situations within games that are risky. You know, in, in, uh, we spoke earlier about um, in a netball situation is that when the ball's contested, you know, you yeah. know that two bodies are probably going to come flying in and, yes. you know, we, we, we could have a situation where there's risk. Um, in, in hockey and field sports, it might be the stick. Um, mm-hmm. So, so tight interactions with sticks flailing. Mm. You know, so having an attunement to to times of risk within game. Yeah. Um, rugby, for instance, and in, in most of those codes, it'll be in the tackle mm-hmm. situation where um, we're probably going to have a heavy to head impact statistically. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a piece. It's just knowing um, when things are likely to occur. Mm. So they come in all shapes and sizes, um, and knowing the types of symptoms that come out of that. You know, we've got a reasonably strong profile of what someone looks like with concussion um and who can we ask you know is it the referee that saw something Mm. is it another parent that's brought something to our attention is it other players Mm. do you know so it's i I thought tracy's what is that profile byron just out of out of interest to make some clarity around that 100 percent, and important to know so you know what you're essentially looking at there is does the does the player um, present with a headache? Is there visual mm-hmm. problems? Are they just feeling a little bit odd? Sometimes some dizziness. Mm-hmm. They can all come across as quite mild. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'd be symptoms that people tell us about, and there can be things that we see or signs of concussion, mm-hmm. which um, vary anywhere from a balance disturbance. So they, you know, they do mm-hmm. their um, their piece of work and they get up and they kind of back off a little bit, yep. which is not normal. Mm-hmm. Do you know? Mm-hmm. Like we, we kind of look at stuff and go, oh, that's not that's not quite normal. Mm-hmm. That's that's when we want to interact with that particular moment mm-hmm. because that's a moment in time yep. um, when someone. Um, probably has had a brain disturbance. Mm. They might just have poor concentration, Tiff. So, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily boom in the moment of the game, but it's a little bit later on, they're sleepy. Mm-hmm. You know, they just can't concentrate. They can't quite focus in the in the hours post a, a competitive interaction. Yeah. And they're, all, they're just a bit off, you know. Like the, the most important people, even in a professional sense, that I used to talk to were um, a player's partner or their spouse mm-hmm. or carer mm-hmm. or parent, whatever, because they know what's normal. Yes, um, good point. And sure, we're fatigued, we're fatigued after games of sport, but... 
you know, there is so much good, rich information as a as a medical person that I can take from talking to people in and around the individual. Uh, if there's yes. concern, mm. yeah, exactly mm. right. So look, they're they're probably the main yep. take homes and facts. We could talk we could talk all day of about course. it. Of course, and it's ever changing. Can I say? Mm. You know, like what we know today will be different to what we know in two years, Tiff, mm. in terms of profiles, etc. So coming yeah. back to that headgear, because we do see, mm. I'm just yeah, that, yeah. them keen to understand what your thoughts are on that. Because or is it, or yeah. is it a bit of a placebo? Mm. I wore it as a kid. Yeah. I wore it as a kid. Did you? Yeah. Yes, did I? Yeah. yeah. I had an old, uh, gosh, who were it? it? was a Steve Menzies one. Oh, He'd be from I, your part I, of the world, I, so you should be able to. Funnily enough, well, I, I, had a, I had a Canterbury one, which is, <laughs> Canterbury, which is, which is obviously a union one, but I was playing league. Yeah. Steve Menzies, yeah. absolutely. He'll be happy to hear that. I can't remember what it's called. <laughs> hey, um, but yeah, look, but I was the same. Did I put my head into dark places more often than other kids? Maybe. I don't know, but that's one school of thought, Tiff, is, mm-hmm. you know, did does, does it give us a, a false sense of security? Mm. Um, do you know? Like yeah. I'm kind of drawn to the NFL data there. So it hasn't really changed. Bigger helmets haven't really changed concussion. Okay, no. interesting. Um, well, they rattle in, inside in the, the helmet. NFL. Oh, absolutely. So, look, let's get to it. I mean, what does it help? It certainly certainly helps, you know, your major traumatic um, head injuries, yes. e.g. fracture. Yep. Um, and it does does help with laceration, but um, no evidence yet to suggest that it reduces the incidence um, or likelihood risk of concussion. Of concussion. Mm. Yeah, okay, exactly right. I, funnily, look, obviously, yeah. as I said, I wore it as a kid and into my teens, and it mm. was only when I was playing football at a semi reasonable level that I stopped wearing mm. it, and and it yes. was was because of my game awareness. That's because it, I, I couldn't hear as well. It mm. was a little bit of my peripheral vision, and I was like, yeah. I, I'm not getting the sense that I need of the people around me and the players around me and I'm yes I just stopped wearing it. Mm. Yeah, absolutely fair enough, yeah. And I've got not that it ma- not that it's the same thing because it's a face, but I've got plate and four screws in both sides for for, for my cheekbones. Oh, the kids so love that story. Two oh, wow. <laughs> two operations or but it's uh that's just footy, isn't it? Oh, you you wouldn't know, mate. You carry it well. Oh gosh, mate, that's very that. kind of you, Byron. It. It. It's almost Stop almost it. like pla- it's almost it plastic surgery. You know, yeah. it looks. Well, 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 got the, it looks oh, fantastic. Dad, why have you got so many cracks in your face from yes. one of oh, our children? Yeah, she <laughs> did give me one of those. Yes. Oh, that's brutal. Gosh, yes, that's brutal. She, Goodness, she meant it in a nice way, but it came across poorly. <laughs> Uh, it didn't land well. <laughs> no, such is life. I get it from the tiff, anyway, as you can pick up, mate. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly, mate. While we talk about nuggets and takeaways, mm. Mm. if a child or adolescent athlete does get a head knock or is diagnosed with concussion, mm. as a family member and parent, what should we be doing? It leads us into one of the tenets of, of what we what we want to take out of today. It's like, what's our management? So mm-hmm. if you do recognise, so the first piece is always going to be around that recognise it. Mm-hmm. Um, something's gone wrong and we're okay, we're calm mm-hmm. and we want to monitor that person for 15 minutes to work out, every 15 minutes to work out whether they're improving or they're deteriorating. Mm-hmm. If they're deteriorating, the symptoms that you saw at first will be worsening and that's that's your cue to get that person to some help and most of the time um, that'll be to emergency emergency care. Yes. Um, so they can be monitored by professionals in, a, in an environment that if things were to deteriorate significantly enough that they can manage that situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't have that on the pitch side of most of our junior sports. Um, if... Um, things go well and they improve, we still need to get them um, a medical referral. And, and in, in Australia, that would be through our um, general practice services. Yes. Um, so, you know, you spoke earlier about what can clubs do. It's like, you know, do we have a relationship to... Um, Local have, GP um, or... Little little Johnny or Jilly teed up for a couple of slots on Monday just to get people reviewed. Mm-hmm. So that once... And then once they're reviewed, they're, they're in a system and, mm. you know, gosh, can I, can I say that the work that the general practitioners have done in that space is actually really good. Okay. It is good. You know, they've got a solid structure and that's 
that'll be part of the um, the things we pop up um, after the podcast right. for your listeners. But you know, that'll be up there. So there's some references there to tools, and one of those tools will be around child sports concussion assessment tools. So they're, they're not little adults. Um, we assess them slightly differently. Mm-hmm. And then along with that, Tiff, there's a, there's a greater return to school process, which I think is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. And I, so can, once, I, can once, I jump in, yeah, Byron? Yeah, I, yeah, I really want to say please. to mm. your listeners, note we're talking about a return to school, not sport. Mm. And, mm, yeah. and I think that's, that's really important because what we're looking yeah. for is to get them back on an even keel and then we can work on return to sport. Mm. 100%. And I'll, I'll tell you why that's important. It's because although you can have symptom resolution, which is, you know, hopefully relatively quickly, and in most cases, symptoms will settle um, pretty quickly, within a week to two, we're, we're looking pretty normal. Mm-hmm. But the thing that we know about adolescents is that even beyond the time of that symptom resolution, um, their brains can still be settling. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's important that we don't stir things up. Mm-hmm. And a part of that is, is a return to learn philosophy. So let's get them back to um, doing the things they need to school. And that, mm-hmm. that's going to take um, that's the village to raise as a sporting child um, scenario mm-hmm. that Tracy spoke about. It's like, okay, we need GPs involved. We need teachers potentially across um, reintegration to school yep. activities. So mm-hmm. that it's, it's light cognitive demand in the initial stages once symptoms are cleared. Yes. And then we, you know, we gradually could re, re, reintegrate them to what would be a normal normal school day. Mm. But that can take you know, anywhere up to a few days for that to occur. Mm-hmm. Once we're happy with that scenario, then it's the return to sport. And that's that's pretty well trodden ground these days across most sporting mm-hmm. um, environments mm-hmm. would have a return to play. They're probably all slightly different. Um, but thankfully in Australia, we're, we're kind of based on a consensus that you know we, we resume light activities and then we start to integrate some skills, um, make things a little bit more complicated if it's a contact sport. Mm. Um, and then return to contact and the medical person would have a role in clearing that person before they return to play mm-hmm. um, based on the time frames that are guided by your governing body. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's a really interesting one. And you mentioned Hit IQ earlier. Mm-hmm. We uh, at Seagulls actually have done a fair amount of work with Hit IQ and, um, cool. and some of the players in our squad wear their mouth guards. Could you just explain, sure. just elaborate well, on that Well, I was going to bit. ask Byron to actually oh, explain sure it. Oh, sure thing. Thanks, okay. Tiff. <laughs> He's done the research. Hey Byron, yeah, he's given yeah, me yeah, the he's given me the oh, eye roll. It's a dumb thing to oh, say. Dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> oh dear. And, um, oh dear. Um, and the work, you know, Damien Hawes, he, he, yeah. um, who I know well. I'm assuming you know very yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. You know, it's it's groundbreaking, isn't it? And yeah, I know yeah. that we're speaking at a professional level, but it's certainly mm. something that that could make its way into the broader population in time. Yeah, I mean, you've you've got me started. We just went from a forty-five-minute podcast potentially to a couple of hours. um, I just think it's a really important innovation. Yeah, come on. Yeah, Yeah, no, no, it is cool. It's um, and you know, tech tech is a great thing, and that's you know, why why is it um such an issue now? Like, I I think the tech our technology has improved, whether it be through looking at um, hormonal changes after concussion or blood markers. You know, looking at brainwave, different types of progression in imaging. Mm-hmm. Or, yep. or whether it be through technology, and that's the great the great piece that I've been able to tap into is looking at mouth guards which have accelerometers and gyroscopes in them mm. that can give us a sense of impact. Um, yeah, yeah, force. Mm. So whether how, how forceful an impact has been to to someone's um, head, and then mm. from that we can derive roughly the forces that have gone through the brain at the same time. So we're still developing the technology, and it's got serious potential, I think, and it's been used in professional sports um, around Australia and around the world. And I just I do like being a part of something that's putting player welfare at the forefront and mm, everybody talks about absolutely. it. But I do like I do like being able to act on it and go, you have to do the research right. Like you have to know how accurate the tools are mm. to be able to rely on them in real time. But 
you know, I know a vision would be to be able to have these accessible to across sporting yeah. um, levels so that, you know, when we are making the tough calls as parents, because it is tough, you know, mm-hmm. to, to think about that in the, in the moment. No, a lot of sporting people won't tell you. Um, and I suspect it's similar in kids, and or maybe they don't know how to tell you what they're feeling. Yes, that's the biggest. Mm. That's perhaps the biggest concern mm. with children. It's it's like mm. they don't know how to describe the fact they've got a headache. Do you know? Yeah. So so having something to be quantitative and objective, I think is mm. is has Helps to be investigated. That. It has to be, and yeah, that's great that your club's doing that, JB. I think it's yeah. Let's get the work done and, and see see where it can take us. But you know, if anything, we don't want to we don't want to sideline technology. We need to embrace it because it's not going anywhere. Mm. It's let's let's work out how powerful that tool can be to. To help protect players, mm. yeah, and that's right through to mm. you know setting setting baselines and and using you know yeah. VR to yeah. to set those and then to ascertain a return to play protocol as well, mm. and, yeah. and they're things and, that but that yeah. would potentially excite kids, yeah, 100%. Um, and it. And it's a very cool, in inverted commas, way of, of getting some real data. It's cool. And it's also, I think it's a little bit of a gap in the research. One of our projects is working with Australian women's rugby, um, you know, looking mm. at a virtual reality technology to see if that can help us out there. But, you know, you, you do have your subgroups. And I'd, I'd say adolescence and the female sport are still trying to catch up, particularly in my code of rugby. But, you know, we're getting there. We're, we're trying to understand more to be able to help those groups of people as well. So, once we do make a decision with our kids, what are some of the basic things we can do to help them prepare to play contact sport? And are there ways to build their mental approach as well as physical preparedness? Yeah, um, this is a great question. Um, I I think because you're going to start to run into questions around should they be playing contact sports, Uh, you Mm -hmm. spoke about the benefits and the risks, etc. I guess my concern, and I I kind of came across this as as a youth, it's like, you know, I kind of was encouraged but not encouraged. I was trying to play cricket and those kind of things and contact sport was a little bit mm. in conflict with that. So, do you know, like if, but if you take the contact elements away from sport and then you, um, because you're concerned about risk and then you return mm. to that later in life, if you, if you kind of underexposed yourself, because a lot, a lot of what we want to do mm. is, is muscle memory and being aware it of is. situational um, decision-making. So, if you don't start playing until you're 15, 16, I'd be really interested, and there might be another paper in that. It's like, well, are you more at risk if you don't yeah. take up contact sports until later in life because you miss mm, those inherent cues? It's, it's almost you can't. It's almost impossible to measure. But you know, you, you guys know that um, a lot of the themes from your from your podcast have been around um, generalizability and playing lots of different things, exposure. Yeah. Do you know, mm. like, how do we tap into that and make sure that mm. if people are going to play contact sport, is it? You know, uh, I, I do like the, the the rugby codes have got greater progression into contact. You know, you start playing yeah. tag as a little guy or girl, and then mm. you, you kind of progress to the next step. So they've thought about that, and I like that. Um, but I'd be interested to know whether if you take it away completely, does that increase your mm. exposure later in life? Um, mm. If you want to get all of a sudden, the, you know, your child, you don't let them play, and then they want to play because all their friends are playing, and, yeah. then, and yes. then they go and play when they're 15, 16, when bodies are bigger. You know, there's more forces yes. coming through, but they're more at risk because they have, don't have that intuitive ability yeah. to put some footwork on and get out of the road of a contact situation. Mm, and as you said, one. yeah, that situational awareness is big, and and it is if you've learnt it when you're five, exactly it does right. beca- it does yeah. become inherent. Yeah, and yeah. It, it helps you in other walks of life as well. Obviously, yeah. not being on the sporting field. Just to, just to answer your question directly, that's if you asked about is there something around the mental approach? To yes, it? I, think the, I think the mental approach is to put the scaffolding around it so that that integrated approach to management of something, it's the social and emotional support from mm-hmm. from the coach, from the player, from the fellow supporters, yeah. from the parents, the carers, et cetera, to go, okay, this this has happened because the last thing the, the child or adolescent is going to want to do is step away from their friends. 
So it's like, what is it in that space that we do to go, no, look, it's for you. It's the education around why we're stepping away. Mm. But what can we do in that space so that they're not feeling um, ostracized or mm. kept out? Because that, that can potentially impact on their emotional stability as well, right? So Absolutely. you take away the, thing, the one thing that they love. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a really good point. And mm. it, as, as we talked about, the sporting codes at a young age are largely around, particularly when you're playing as part of a team. It's, yeah. it's about the friendships friends. that you develop. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Your friends. Yeah. Correct. And, 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 thankfully, coaches are gifted in being able to modify and manipulate training situations yeah. to, to minimize risk, you know. So, but I'd, mm. you know, my advice to parents would be so have a think about it before the season starts, you know, mm. and then have a, have a little strategy in place for if it were to occur as opposed to being too reactionary. Yeah. And because it, and it can be as, as mm. simple as, as a child coming home from school and saying to their mum or dad, oh, I'm playing rugby. And yeah. you just go, pardon? Yeah. <laughs> I've signed up and at school. That, and that's right. Yeah. And, yeah. and then all of a sudden yeah. it's like, oh, well, we're not really a rugby family. We have no I've, background I've in that. I've got concerns around I have contact. concerns around mm. what's going to happen and how do I then navigate all of these things mm-hmm. while supporting my child in their obviously desire to play with their friends. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and mental, I, I think, is almost bigger. You mentioned scaffolding and obviously physical preparedness is mm. everything but – when it, whatever age you are now, mm. you're bigger, smaller, angrier or more timid than others. It, mm. it's, that's just the nature of sport. Mm. The mental approach and understanding that you can learn to be confident in those moments before contact mm. is the key in my, in my mind. And, and codes, as we've spoken about in rugby league, there's your mini and your mod league, you know, different size fields, different levels of contact and working towards a, a, a full-blown collision sport. Mm. Um, I think is probably the way to go and that's why you have those earlier, excuse me, forms of the game mm. as stepping stones. Mm. Is that a question or a statement, John? It's a statement. It is a statement. Yeah. I've actually never no, played a, a contact a sport. Mm, I've never played a contact sport. Is it something that you – sorry, this might be a little bit off track. But it's not. Is it, is it something that you worried about? And I know you played too, Byron. Did you, how, how did you manage the, yourselves? Because I would be quite frightened to be perfectly honest. And I guess that's the problem because mums often haven't played collision sports and they're the, and that, that will change over time. The mums obviously. of tomorrow will have. But the current mums probably have largely not played contact yeah. sport and they're naturally frightened by it, it's, I would say. So do you find it fi- – like what is it? Well, look, is it scary? I, I don't think it's limited to, to female, male, mm. anyone. I, I think sometimes there is just an inherent uh, thing in an individual mm. that – I, I always felt comfortable with the contact. And you were quite little too. Oh, I was little, but I always You're still little. I am still little. <laughs> but I but what I what I felt and if I can answer your question, Tiff. Yes, John. Is my approach I had to be willing because to go in of, because hard. I was smaller. Mm-hmm. And I used to use it as a mental advantage to think this person who essentially might be bigger than me thinks they're going to run over me and I'm very confident they're not. One thing I have heard you say before is that it did make you get good at tackling technique. Absolutely. Mm. It does. And I, I learned to tackle and obviously different now in rugby league. There's a lot of um, you know full body contact. Mm. For me as a junior, it was legs tackling mm. and, and I was comfortable with that process, knew where to put my head, mm. knew where to make shoulder contact, knew how to wrap my arms so that I could fall safely. Mm-hmm. And... It, you, I just grew up with that mm. and the contact was something certainly as, as an adult playing park football was a wonderful release for me. So um, angry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was a great way to release frustration once a week. <laughs> 
Leg, far, legally. We've gone off in a legally. tangent here. If, if I can throw something in with that, because techniques are Please very, do. It's, that's a very good point. And there's a lovely, there's a couple of nice studies out of the US, I believe, um, where they look at soccer. And, and mm-hmm. if you hit the ball where you're supposed to hit it, um, on a head, mm-hmm. actually, apologies to all the soccer parents out there, I don't know anything about it, but if you hit the ball where you're supposed to hit it. We're actually soccer parents yeah, okay. too. So if you hit the ball appropriately, um, as you're yes. supposed to, then the forces that um, are detected within the head are much mm-hmm. less than if you get it wrong, for instance. So mm-hmm. that says to me that now your technique, whether that be football mm-hmm. or heading a soccer ball, so that's just practice, right? And you know, I know, I know that so I, I think that particular code is probably going down the limiting exposure track as well. Um, you know, which is a, it's another that's another podcast in itself. But you know, it so is. sports are trying to to inherently make their um, codes safe. A lot of that can be rule changes. Mm. Do you know? But you know, we don't want the sports are what they are because of what they are. We don't want um, to excessively change rules, but I guess it's it just talks to what we're going to do um, when we're faced with that situation of um, our, our youngster um, having a head knock and being educated and informed around that mm. piece. Byron, have you had any experience coaching children out of interest? Yeah, that's um, that's, that's probably where I started. To be honest, I'm obviously uh, on the medical side now, but I, you know. Um, Coming through universities and, and wasting the first degree that I did, um, a lot of the time was out chasing kids and going to schools, and which is great. You know, I do love coaching um, and the ability to interact with people and having fun. I think that's what Hamish spoke about, wasn't it? It's like the reason we do it is to have he fun. Did. That's a huge thing. Yeah, that's a, and that's a lot of the reason I played. I never thought to to go back to Tip's question before. I never really thought about contact or etc. When I was playing rugby growing up as a kid, it was just mm. a, it was just a thing, you know. And I've kind of just mm. part of the sport. Yeah, it's just part of it. Yeah, that's right. Mm. And it's um, mm. you know, it's a just it's ironic that I've kind of now gone full circle, and it's a, yeah. it's a huge part of what I do. When you were a coach, mm. can you pull yourself back and remember anything that you were doing potentially with um? you know, new recruits or people that were new to the game or perhaps you were teaching kids that were all first-timers at the time. Mm-hmm. Did you have some, you know, ste- stepping stones or processes in place that you utilised? So, so let's think about, say, cricket, for example, because that was kind of my yep. sport. You know, like how do, we, how do we look to prevent something happening in cricket? Well, mm-hmm. you know, the sport's what it is. There's fast bowlers coming in and even as a, there are. As a youngster, mm-hmm. that's probably where you're going to have your head injury is getting hit by the ball. Um, yes. Hopefully, you know, so, oh gosh, 25 years ago now, we stopped people fielding in close without a helmet on. Um, yes. We put helmets on wicket keepers, so we, we changed some things in the game. And then, you know, how common would it be for you to go to a Sunday, Saturday cricket match and see see player with um, older brother's head helmet on? You know, and it's wobbling yes. like one thing, and it's like that would be pretty common. So, you know, what can you yes. do? Just eyeballing a sporting paddock to go, gee, that's that doesn't look safe, or they get hit in the head. We know that that helmet needs replacing. Do you know? So, what what mm. can you do behind the scenes to make sure that you're risk managing all those mm-hmm. little situations? I know every right. sport's different, so it's hard to give yeah, exact examples, yeah. but. John, that's probably what I would look back now if I was coaching and go, okay, I, I could probably tell the parent to get a helmet that fits, do you know? Because yep. that, yep. that will probably uh, yeah, minimize risk point. as best as possible. Rightio. Okay. We could keep talking, Byron, but um, we'd love to know if you could narrow it down to one piece of advice about playing contact sports for, for sports parents, what would it be? Uh, yeah, I think it's threefold. It's early recognition. It'd be appropriate referral and then it's that supportive process for return to initially learning and then return to play. I think they're the three tenants. If you can if you can nail them, coupled with all the other um, information we've kind of gone over today, I think that's mm-hmm. that's good proactive empowering management for parents. That's gold. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Sports Parenthood. Please leave a review, share with your friends, or visit our website, sportsparenthood.com.au to connect. Catch you next week.